We do want to encourage you to be packing your shoeboxes and your families, uh, Sunday schools, wherever uh, you can in your local businesses, if that's allowable. Uh, We want to encourage you to be packing shoeboxes so that we can send the gospel out all around this world. As we come this morning, uh, we come to this solemn service in this solemn place in this solemn hour to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we come to worship God and we understand that a part of that is singing our praises to Him in song. A part of that is talking to Him, communicating with Him in prayer. A part of that is coming and sitting under the instruction of this God's holy, infallible, and inerrant Word. And we understand These elements within the corporate body of the church and within the individual life of the Christian are the source and the substance of spiritual nourishment that brings about spiritual vitality. Our time that we spend in reading the Word and studying it and applying it, the time that we spend in praying and putting our petitions before God, communicating with Him, our time that we spend in the midst of the service, in the midst of the this time singing our songs of praise to God, those are the sources of spiritual nourishment that brings about spiritual vitality. Unfortunately, we have watched through the years, especially these last few years, as many, many children have been found in various situations and circumstances throughout our world. We read and hear of all the children who are found within bedrooms or basements as if they were in a dungeon chained to their beds and with a great need for nourishment so that they might grow and develop physically, mentally, emotionally, and socially. And the fact is, when they are found, they are often disoriented, they are often confused, they are oftentimes disabilitated and even animalistic in their behavior because of the severe abuse of those who would be called their caretakers. Now, equally tragic is the condition of many of God's children within the context of what is called God's church. Indeed, there is a great rampant, uh, rampant epidemic of spiritual child abuse going on within our culture and within our churches. For there are many Christians, many Christian churches that are underdeveloped, that are confused, that are disoriented and immature in the things of the Lord because they have not given themselves to developing their spiritual lives through a consistent reading of God's Word and applying it into their hearts and lives through a constant prayer and communication with the living God, through a constant giving of themselves to worship God in spirit and in truth. This spiritual weakness within the life of the Christian and within the life of the Christian church is often a direct result of fatigue, frustration, and seemingly insurmountable obstacles in the Christian lives and in the lives of our leaders. And this is spiritual child abuse. For the child is a child of the living God. We need to be guarded against such things. Now, several years ago, there was a bridge that was being built in New Jersey and the engineers ran into a problem as there was a ship hole that was buried in the midst of the sand where a piling needed to go. 
As they were putting down the pilings and they came to this hole, there was no way around it. They had to get it up. They had to get it out of the way unless they wanted to change the entire planned course of that bridge. They tried everything humanly possible. All of the mechanical inventions that they had at their disposal. They tried and tried to get this hole of the ship to raise out of the murky sand, the sinking sand at the bottom of the ocean, and yet nothing worked. Finally, a young engineer explained that, well, maybe we ought to tie cables around the hull of the ship and secure them to large barges that would be floating as buoys above them, above that ship hole at low tide and then when the ocean comes in and the tide rises then maybe the pressure of the ocean would be enough strength to make that hole move from its place of immobility within the sand sure enough they tied the cables at low tide to those to those uh barges that were above and then when the tide came in that that ship began to move it began began to weaken in that sand And the next time the tide went down, they tied it back tighter. And the next time the tide went up, guess what? It began to move even more. Finally, after several of those cycles, the ship was attached and secured and raised completely out of the sand. See, what humanly devised mechanical forces can never accomplish. The immeasurably greater forces of God's creation accomplished with relative ease. What humanly devised forces can never accomplish. What God's great forces of His creation accomplished with relative ease. And for many Christians and many Christian churches, we are like that hole that is embedded in that sinking sand of spiritual immobility. They recognize, we recognize the problem and even try to extricate ourselves and empower ourselves to accomplish and overcome all these things, but all to no avail. For indeed, what God's children cannot accomplish in our own strength, our Heavenly Father, can do for us by the power of His Holy Spirit in the ministry of grace. What God's children, what you can't do for yourself, what you can't overcome for yourself, what I can't do, what I can't fulfill in my service, in my witness, in my ministry, what I can't do in and of myself, God can overcome through the power and work of His Holy Spirit in His ministry of grace. In this imperfect world stained with sin and selfishness, God gives us ministries to perform. And in order for us to accomplish His work and His will, God gives us His grace and His power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish those goals. In the Old Testament, God encourages Joshua to work in conjunction with His revealed directives there in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. He tells Joshua, listen, you are to work hard, you are to work diligently, but you are to rely on me. Listen to what he says there in verses 6 through 8. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. 
Now I want you to notice there in verse 6. Go ahead and put verse 6 back up there. God says to Joshua, Joshua, you have a responsibility. You are to be strong and courageous. And at that point, you shall give this people possession of the land. But I want you to notice, it is entirely the responsibility of Joshua to be strong, to be courageous, to lead the people. But notice what it says at the end, which I swore to the fathers to give them. It is our responsibility to work, but it is God's position as sovereign Lord to give the increase. We never need to forget that. There is no distinction. We work as hard as we can and we work as diligently as we can. But the source of strength, the source of power, the source for our ability is not ourselves. It is the living God. In verse in chapter one, uh, verses or chapter 15, verse 58 of first Corinthians, Paul says to a wavering church at Corinth, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toll in the Lord is not in vain in the Lord. A few verses later in chapter in chapter 16, verse 13, he says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. You stand up, straighten your back, stand up, work hard, be strong in the Lord, be faithful in your service. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, Paul writes to the Ephesian church, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. All of these things combine together for us to see that there is a direct connection between our responsibility to work and God's provision of power in the midst of that work. There is a direct connection between the work God gives us the church to do and the in, and individual Christians to perform. The, and those tasks are evangelizing all people in, in all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who respond by receiving the gospel and making disciples of all those that believe. Indeed, the power that God gives us is the power that will sustain us to accomplish those tasks. God gives us a task. Evangelize all the people of all the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go and tell and make disciples. When they receive the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And upon that, teach them all things. That was the command of Matthew eighteen, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The great commission is for us to complete the task God has given us. But we should never think that it's up to us in our own power to accomplish that task. For indeed, if God calls us and commissions us to do those tasks, he will give us the resources and strength to accomplish it. For we are links in an unbroken chain of God's people existing in God's world for God's purposes. We indeed are standing here today because there's an unbroken link from Jesus to us. There's an unbroken link that goes from Galilee all the way to Goldsboro right here on October 2nd, 2011. There have been faithful men who have been sources of transmission as the unbroken chain of the gospel has stretched all the way from Jesus to us, from Galilee to Goldsboro. And now today the question is, will we be faithful in the ministry God has given to us? 
Well, let's take our Bibles and look there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And let's see the call that Paul places on young Timothy to be faithful to God as he is a link, as he is a link in the unbroken chain of the gospel ministry. Let's stand now in honor of the reading of this God's holy word. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask now that we would be strengthened in your grace. Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate this text. And Father, allow our eyes to see it clearly and apply it faithfully into our hearts so that all that we say, all that we do might honor you, might praise you, might worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, thank you again for bringing us into your house, for allowing us to open your word. Lord, lead us now. And Father, may we go out differently than we came in. Father, may we see our responsibility of serving you in all things so that we are links in the unbroken chain of the transmission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful men and women who teach other faithful men and women. Lord, we ask now that you would speak for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that indeed each and every generation bears the responsibility of preserving and handing on the basic Christian beliefs to those who follow. Each and every generation, it is our responsibility, it is our God-given duty to not only believe rightly and behave rightly, but to pass that belief and that behavior on to the next generation. We are responsible for preserving and handing off the legacy and the faith of the gospel to the the next generation. And so we are to work diligently through the power of God's grace and his work. We are to work diligently through the grace and power of God's Holy Spirit to accomplish his ministry and purposes within this world. We are to work. God gives us the power, the grace and the strength to continue. And this morning we are going to see two truths within this passage. First of all, the the truth that we are to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, that we are to be able to be those who pass on God's truth to others. We are to be people who pass on God's truth to others. We are to be strong in the faith, number one. And secondly, we are to be faithful as disciple makers. First of all, let's look at verse one and let us see there that we are to be strong in God's grace. We are to be strong in God's grace. Now, the close of the first chapter, Paul has expressed his disappointment that the Christian brothers in Asia had turned their back on him, especially even Fugelos and Hermogenes. These guys had all turned their back on him. They had walked walked away from Paul, but there had been one faithful. This, This one guy, Onesiphorus, had been faithful, and he was an outstanding example of how we ought to minister refreshment to others who are in need of refreshing. It's against this background of a general falling away that this chapter opens with the apostle urging Timothy not to turn back, not to give up, not to compromise him, not to follow the example of the deserters, but rather to stand his ground and not to let his natural timidity betray him into disloyalty. Timothy, 
Don't go back. He calls Timothy to the basics. He says, remember the grace of God and the instructions you have received through my ministry. Indeed, the apostle proceeded has encouraged Timothy not to be ashamed of Christ, not to be ashamed of his servants, not to be ashamed of the gospel. He has called him to endure hardship, to identify even with the crucified Christ, to commit himself to orthodox belief and behavior and to discipline his life for noble use in God's kingdom. And now Paul's instruction is to be strong. And this word, be strong, I want to tell you, first of all, is a word that carries the imperative tense. This is a command. This isn't a question. This isn't a a request. This is Paul looking and saying, Timothy, if you are secure in the Lord, he has secured your destiny. You stand strong. You be strong in the Lord. Timothy, you plant your feet in the ground, in the firm foundation of the faith that is in the gospel. You draw a line in the sand and you defend the gospel at all costs. Don't turn around. Don't t- go back. Don't go away. This is the duty and the responsibility of all those who have trusted Christ to plant their feet firmly in the faith of Christ in the gospel, in the gospel, to draw a land in a uh, line in the sand and to defend the faith with all they have. Paul says, Timothy, my son, my son, the Lord's work in your family of faith, the Lord's work in your church, the Lord's work in your community depends on you. It's divinely appointed, it's divinely endowed, but it is yours to do. And so it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when it comes to to discussing elders and pastors, it says, listen, if you desire to do the work, guess what? It's a fine work, but nonetheless, it is what? Work. Work diligently. Be strong. The effectiveness of Timothy's ministry depended not just on his calling, not just on his gifting by God, but on his faithfulness and fidelity in his in his using of those gifts. And so we have a paradox here. We have a paradox here. There is the God of the universe who reigns and rules over all things, all things, and it is all powerful. And at the, at the words of his mouth that are spoken, all things come to be. And yet this same all-powerful, sovereign God who reigns and rules over all of creation is the same God who entrusts you and I with His gospel to take and to make known among all the nations. Seems to be a paradox. Why in the world would an all-powerful, sovereign God entrust me, a simple little sinner who is selfish and self-absorbed with the gospel? Because that is his message to the world that he changes and transforms the hearts and lives of sinners into saints. His message is that he can change anybody from anywhere with anything in their past and make them a saint, a follower of Christ. Indeed, we need to understand that God has given us the responsibility to spread the saving gospel of the person and work of Jesus Christ to all the nations. We are responsible. We are responsible. Indeed, we, we as the church within this world are responsible for, change, for spreading and transmitting the gospel to all the nations. We as Adamsville Baptist Church here at this particular location are responsible for, for transmitting the gospel and spreading 
spreading it to the ends of the earth. We as individual Christians, you and I are responsible for the gospel to go forth. But in addition to this being an imperative command, this is also a passive command. And I want you to understand what that means. It is an imperative command. Timothy, you be strong. Timothy, you fight the good fight. Timothy, you rely on the Lord. Because the strength that it is going to take to accomplish these tasks is not going to come from you. It is a passive command where Timothy's strength in and of himself does not give himself the power to accomplish it. The source of the strength for Timothy's witness and work is a grace that is in Jesus Christ. We can maybe render this passage in this way. Be strong by the means of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is not you who is able to work out your salvation. It is God who saves you and God who sanctifies you. You rely on Him and Him alone. Indeed, we are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God and not of ourselves, not of our works, lest any man should boast. But not only that, we are not just saved by God's grace. We are kept by God's grace. We are strengthened by God's grace. We are sanctified by God's grace. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to continue to forgive us of our sins and to continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is God's grace that saves us. It is God's grace that sustains sustains us. Now we need to understand we are to work with all of our might, with all of our our strength, but it is God's grace that gives us the power to go on. Our only source of spiritual strength and well-being is from God Himself. And so we are to be strong in God's grace by being faithful and obedient to complete God's will and work in the power and strength that we receive through the gospel. Secondly, and we also are, we need to understand we are neither saved nor sustained by our own abilities, but we are responsible to be obedient and complete the task of the Great Commission by walking in the good work that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So let me ask you this morning, where are you in the transmission of the gospel? Are you actually ministering the gospel? Are you walking in the gospel? Are you, uh, do you even know the gospel? Have you understood that Jesus Christ, the righteous, the one who was perfect and pure and without sin, has died on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, suffering and taking upon himself the sin and the shame and the punishment and the penalty for your sin and my sin, and then died under that weight, was buried in the ground, and on the third day God rose him again in glorious resurrection to to demonstrate that he has now broken not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin, death, and hell. And because he lives, you too can live. See, you've got to understand that first before you can go on and you can stand and be strong in God's grace. Commit yourself to God and surrender yourself fully to Him and then live and be strong in God's grace and be a part of His ministry. Second thing is that we see in verse 2 is that we are to be faithful in passing the torch. Be faithful in passing the torch. 
See, Timothy has already been urged to guard the deposit of truth that which he has received from Paul to be strong in preaching that truth in the face of any opposition that he might encounter in the midst of his ministry at Ephesus. But now the apostle goes one step further and urges him to arrange for the transmission of the truth of the gospel to the next generation. Paul says, listen, Timothy, you want to know your responsibility? You want to know what you should do? You want to know you ought to to be a model. You ought to be an example. You ought to be a diligent worker. You ought to receive the truth that I have been entrusted in the gospel and you ought to receive it from me. Harbor it in your heart. Hold it close to your heart and then you ought to pass it along to others. The things which you have heard me say in the presence of many. In other words, I haven't just said this once. It's not just a one-time thing. I didn't just talk to you once about the gospel. It wasn't just at your, the point where you were converted. It wasn't just at the point where you heard, where you were baptized. It wasn't just at the point where you were ordained, where you heard the gospel. It was a faithful proclaiming of the gospel through many times, through many places, in many ways. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will then entrust it to other faithful men. See, Paul knows that his end is near. He knows his execution is looming large. He has carried the torch of the gospel over many years and many is, many various situations where he has been beaten and tortured and endured much hardship. And now he is concerned that this gospel should be passed on to successive generations. This is the chain of transmission by which the revelation of God's truth in the scriptures has now come down to us even here today. It, it, in our present instance, it began when God revealed the gospel of Jesus Christ to Paul there on that road to Damascus. It, in Galatians chapter 1 verse 12, Paul says, listen, I didn't receive this from many man nor did was i taught it rather i received it by the revelation from jesus christ himself paul says i received direct revelation from god jesus is the savior of sinners because i was committed to destroying wiping out and persecuting the church until it was gone from the face of the earth but god came to me and showed me that indeed the gospel of christ is the salvation for the soul of sinners He gave that to me, entrusted it to me. And now, Timothy, I've entrusted it to you. Timothy, you're to entrust it to others. Timothy, you're to train faithful men who will then turn about and teach and train other faithful men. We have a similar chain that we see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. John says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word of truth, in other words, comes from God through Christ to John, who in turn wrote it down within the text of scripture for the benefit of the church and for the training and instruction of those that would pass it on to the next generation of faith that would follow them and so we see that men are teaching men and passing it on and when i say men i just mean men mankind 
We see the church faithfully passing on the gospel throughout the generations. The men Timothy is the the men Timothy is to train for future ministry are those who will be qualified to teach, those who will be successors of his ministry. Paul stressed the same facility, uh, the fa- same facility for ministry in First Timothy chapter three verse two. What was the qualification of the elder that he must be able to do what to teach? He must be able to teach. In verse 24, Paul again says, The elder, the one who follows in your footsteps, the Lord's bondservant, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach. Why is this emphasis here? Because a man may have many other gifts for leadership within the church of Jesus Christ, but if he does not have the ability to expound the doctrines of Scripture and be able to communicate clearly those truths in a way that people can understand, then that man has absolutely no place within the pulpits of the church. So when we take up and consider elders and pastors, The men who are qualified for those roles of watching over and caring for the spiritual of the church, uh, the spiritual welfare of the church are those men who know the Bible, who love the Bible, who know God, who love God, who are committed to God. But those men who are able to teach faithfully the word of God. And so we understand. We understand that this piece of apostolic counsel has been often ignored within the context of the local ch- of the churches within our culture. Indeed, there are many men in the pastoral offices of churches all throughout our culture and country that are first and foremost not seen as preachers, not seen as communi- as, as those who would take and herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they are simply administrators and communicators and counselors and social engineers. And that is not what a preacher is to be. They are to be those who give themselves to proclaiming clearly the word of God and the doctrines. They are, and we all are to give ourselves to being faithful links within the unbroken chain of the transmission of the gospel. But there is a special place for pastors that we'll cover once we come back to those verses at the end of chapter 2. But today I want us all to understand that there is a position we all ought to have within the church. We ought to have one hand out. Reaching out to those who go before us. Those who are spiritually mature. Those who know the scriptures. Love the scriptures. Who have a personal intimate relationship with God. Those who can pour into our lives and mentor us and train us in godliness. We ought to also have a hand that is reaching back for those who are behind us, those who are, who are walking behind us. Indeed, we ought to have our hand reaching back to, so that we can teach others how to study, how to apply, and how to grow in godliness. I want to illustrate this with my life real quick. See, I grew up in the, hand, in the home of Bob and Ann Wickens. And every morning they would sit us down around the table and they would read the Bible to us and they would train us in righteousness. 
They would train us and teach us what the gospel meant to live out daily within the context of our lives. As I grew up as a young teenager who seemed to want to go every way but straight, Garth Forrester took that young teenager who was wayward. And as pastor of First Baptist Church of Barnesville, he began pouring into my life how to study and how to apply and how to walk in the gospel daily. As I grew up and I went to college in the midst of in the midst of the heart of liberalism, Christian liberalism, but liberalism nonetheless that told us not to worry about what God's Word said, not to worry about what we did, just to do whatever we wanted to and say whatever we want to, wanted to and just affect social change through the church. Tommy Jones, the pastor at Westland Drive Baptist Church, took that little college man, the little college boy, and sh- formed him and shaped him into a man and taught me how to stand against the forces of liberalism that that would say the gospel is something about something other than about the story of God saving the sinful souls of man. He taught me how to walk in it and grow in it. Dwayne Milioni at Open Door Baptist Church coming and pouring his heart and his life into a little seminary boy. I was little at that point when I got there. Not so little when I left. Pouring his heart and his life into a seminary boy. And ministering and teaching me what it was to faithfully serve and love and minister the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the context of this world. That is what is described in chapter 2, verse 2 of Second Timothy. That faithful men would teach faithful men who would teach faithful men. Four generations, Paul, Timothy, faithful men who would then teach faithful men. This is transferred across generations on a practical instance. Let me give it to you. Tuesday night when, all, when I have a group of young men come over to the house and we sit down around the table and we enjoy a meal and then we get up and go in the living room and sit down and open open the Word of God and break the Bible apart and apply it into our lives, into our hearts to challenge ourselves to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's me reaching back. Indeed, parents understand this. Every single night when we sit down as a family and we read the Bible and we sing hymns and we pray prayers to God asking for His hand to be upon us to lead God and direct our family so that we might make much of the gospel and take it into the nations. That is faithful teaching and faithful application of this passage. Parents, where do you do that? 20 years from now, don't come saying, Pastor, you failed our children in raising them in the Lord. No. I've been faithful to preach and teach and expound the scriptures to you. It is your responsibility to walk in faithfulness and ministering faithfully to your children and raising faithful men and women to come after us. Indeed, we are to be strong. We are to be faithful. We are to be responsible. We are to be an unbroken link in the unbroken chain of the transmission of the gospel. We are to be strong in God's grace and we are to be faithful in God's work. We are to be faithful men and women that receive faithful teaching from God's word. We are to walk in it daily. We are to pass it on faithfully to others. Indeed, we understand each and every generation bears the responsibility of preserving and handing on the 
the basic Christian beliefs to those who would follow. And so my question this morning is, who are you handing it on to? Are you strong in God's grace? Do you even know God's grace? Have you received Christ as your Savior? If you have, are you standing strong and firm in it? Are you ministering faithfully? Who is your Paul? Who is your mentor? Who is the one pouring into your life to teach you and train you how to walk in righteousness? Who's your Timothy? Who's the one you're reaching back to and bringing along in the faith? Indeed, as Christians, we are responsible to do the hard work of the gospel, but we are fully relying upon God to accomplish that work in and through us. This morning, will you give your life to being a link in the unbroken chain of the transmission of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you lay everything down for the sake of Him and the sake of His gospel? Father, indeed, this this moment, we ask that your hand would be great upon us, that you would lead us and guide us in this time of decision, direct our steps and intentions. Lord, allow us uh, in the midst of this time, Father, just to to, uh, continue to seek you, to continue to serve you. Lord, we ask uh, that, Father, we would be faithful servants who would pass along your gospel, Father, to other faithful servants, so that your gospel might not just last for a time here and now, but, Father, would last eternity we understand that all it all it takes for the gospel to disappear from our families and from our community is for one generation to do nothing with it lord let us be faithful let us stand firm let us be strong in your glorious gospel in jesus name amen let's stand now for our hymn of invitation as we sing together in this time